let's pray. And we'll jump in. It's like his little payback. I don't know what Glenn's doing, but let's pray. And we're going to see what Jesus has for us, okay? God, we want to hear your opinion, hear your truth, and then help us apply. Give us the grace we need, the boldness, the courage to apply it. Keep us teachable, God, instead of us getting super defensive as things come up that maybe challenge us a little bit. Um, God, keep us sensitive to your word and not our preconceived ideas of it. Um, if at all possible, God, help us to look at your word without these uh, lenses of our own ideologies or theologies, or, but just, just let us see your truth. So Holy Spirit, lead this time, we pray in your name. And everyone says, amen. If you have your Bibles or your phones or your tablets, if you would turn to Judges chapter 7, uh, we're going to be looking at a guy named Gideon. And so when Glenn said, hey, you can preach whatever you want, doesn't have to be on the series. And I, I wasn't planning to be on the series. And then when, when Pete asked, is it connected? I went, oh, I guess it kind of connected. But it's kind of for us in the church. Because um, there's this statement we always say to each other to encourage each other. And I get, I mean, I understand why we say it. We're just trying to be nice. But I think it's a myth. I don't even think it's, I don't think it's biblical. I don't think it's right. And it's this. God will never give you anything that you can't handle. Now we'll use that. Now I say that to some of you sitting there going, I'm ready, to, I'm ready to debate that. Okay, but this isn't a debate and I have the mic. So just hang in there for just a second. Hang in there because I really think biblically I can show it. We've, we've bought into this idea. Well, God will never give you anything that you can't handle. Here's the problem with that. If God will never give me anything that I can't handle, then I don't need God. Oh, crud. I mean, seriously, if, if I'm completely self-sufficient... And God will never give me anything that I can't handle. Then ultimately, I don't need God. And where it breaks down in the very beginning is I cannot save myself. So if we say God will never give you anything that you can't handle, well, that's post coming to Christ. Man, then Paul had a problem. In 2 Corinthians, and we'll look at that passage, really all of scripture, doesn't it seem like all of scripture just paints this picture of a lot of broken, imperfect people trying to do things with and for God that have no clue what they're doing because the things that God calls them to do are much bigger than they can handle. It just seems like that is the whole thing. And I know we're self-sufficient, or at least we think that we are. Really, that's self, I mean, self-sufficient is just kind of a fancy word for pride. And pride is one of the things that God detests. He hates that. We're given the Holy Spirit. He's called our helper. Why? Because God knows that we need help. So all of a sudden when I say, well, God will never give me anything that I can handle, that I can't handle, that means that I don't need help. Therefore, I don't need a helper. Therefore, I don't need God. See how it just kind of breaks down in the very beginning? So we're going to look at that. We're going to kind of break it down. Looking at a guy named Gideon. How many have heard of Gideon and, and are thankful that God wrote about Gideon because you can relate? He's the guy where God says, I want you to do this. And he's like, okay, how can I be sure it was you? Anybody like that? It's like, how do, how do I know that was God? How do I know that? Was that you? Was that me? Was that this freaky dream? Was that the devil? What was it? Yeah, we're going to look at it. Chapter seven, verse one. Here we go. Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early in the camp beside the spring of Herod, and the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into, your hand, into their hand. Now stop there real quick. I'm going to be honest. I think if I'm, okay, if I'm Gideon, I think I want as many people on my team as possible. So if there's 30,000, great. 32,000, great. 150,000, the more, the merrier. Isn't that just how it is? You're going to go to battle. You're going to go to war. Who wants to come? 
And all of a sudden, 100,000 people come like, no, 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 we don't need that many, just 20. That's fine. But God comes to, God comes to Gideon and goes, the people that you have are way too many. We got we to bring this down. But he gives the reason behind it. Lest Israel boast over me saying, my own hand has saved me. Here's the reason. If I let you go, Gideon, I let you go in with 32,000 men. You all will walk out going, look what we did. Anyone here like me? God had to break this. I mean, I still struggle with it. Sometimes you kind of have a savior complex. The problem shows up and you're going to fix it. You're the fixer. And most men should be putting their hands up. Because it's like, you know, when you're, if, okay, if you're married and your wife comes in and starts talking about the problem, as she's talking about the problem, what are you doing? You're thinking the solution. Now, ladies are like, I don't need no man. Okay, I'm not going there. Don't worry about it. I'm not doing that. I'm just saying that. And you don't. That's fine. But I'm just saying this. We as guys, it's like, as they're telling the problem, I'll just put me. And if it relates, then it's for you too. Okay, so as Kelly's telling me the problem, in my mind, I'm going step one, step two, step two. And then as she's, when she takes a breath, boom, I jump in. This is what you do. And then she has that look on her face. And I go, oh, this was one of those times you just wanted me to listen. Yes. Okay. I'm all yours. Let's go. I remember being in college and the prof, one of the profs said, uh, hey, there's, there's only one savior and you're not it. And in my mind, in my arrogance, it's kind of like, yeah, but you haven't met me yet. <laughs> like, you don't know me. And so guys, I mean, honestly, when, when God started opening doors for me to preach at camps and stuff, at the end of camp, I made sure every kid had my email, every kid, not my cell number, I didn't want to call me, but they all had my email because I thought, hey, and I even told them, if you have any problem, you email me. And it wasn't because I wanted to help, it's because I actually thought I could. Like, I can fix anything, any, any problem, let me know. What's the problem with that? I could be 500 miles away living from them. I'm not in community. I can't help them on a daily basis. But in my mind, I can fix it. And then God has had to break me from that. And now I realize I can't fix a thing. I, can fix, I mean, I can't ultimately fix anything. What God says, tell, tells Gideon is this. You have way too many people. And if you go into battle with all these people, you are going to take credit for what it is that I do. And so this is what we're going to do. Now, therefore, proclaim, verse 3, now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. Okay, that math is not in your favor. 32,000, how many leave? Two-thirds of your army going, oh, thank God. See you later. And they'll just start walking away. If you're Gideon and you're watching them walk away, at what point do you start to feel a little bit discouraged as this huge mound of people start to walk? And you say, God, every time, seriously, you jack up my plans. Like I had a great army, man. I was a great politician. I got this whole thing going and you've taken away most of my army. At some point, I would begin to feel like, oh, we are not going to win this. But of course, you can't say that to the, to the 10,000 that are left. But okay, 10,000. Okay, now, we're the, now it's the Navy SEALs. Or, or as we say here, now it's the spiritual Marines. Like, we're all good to go. This is it. We will take over everything. Verse 4, and the Lord said to Gideon, yeah, the people are still too many. What? They took two-thirds of my army. 
Oh, there's too many. So here's what's going to happen. Take them down to the water and I'll test them for you there. You don't have to do a thing. I'll take care of it. And any, any one of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go with you. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. That just seems like a really weird contest. Like this, this is your test. We want to see, I mean, I just, I can't imagine. I, I figure, okay, you kind of have these drills or something to see who are the best warriors to take into battle. And here's God's test. I want to see how they drink. I know there's commentators out there that go, okay, this is the reason. Here's the reason behind it. This is why he said, okay, those who lap, and the, those who lap like a dog and then those who, they kneel down. Guys, we have no clue. It doesn't say it in the passage. They try to give it like this glory. Those who kneel down, they don't care. They don't, oh, that's garbage. Okay, so I don't know why God does it. He just says, you're gonna separate them. Those who lap the water like a dog, which I have never in my life seen a human being do that. <laughs> It just seems weird. It's like out of any contest, that's the contest that God comes up with. So those who drink like a dog and then those who kneel down, I don't drink like that. If, I, if there's this thing of water and I can drink from it, I don't usually just stick my face down in there. But God's like, okay, there's going to be two camps here. And those who lap like a dog, put them over here. And those who, those who kneel down, you're going to put them over here. Verse six. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, were 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. If you're Gideon, what are you thinking? You're thinking this. Okay, God, I've been walking with you long enough. I know who you're going to give me. It's a stinking 300 over there. (laughs) And wouldn't it be just like God to give them the ones that can't fight? Just for fun. It's like they walk up and they go, what's this? It's a sword. I've never seen this. Is this a ladder opener? I mean, they have no clue. So, you know, maybe Gideon's just sitting in the back going, ah, every time. No, not them. I get them. I get the bad news bears of battle. This is not going to work well for me. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who laughed, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men, and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Guys, as if it wasn't bad enough, when you started with 32,000 men and you're going to take on the whole people, the Midianites, God now shrinks it down, 32,000 to 300. Do you still want to hold on to the fact that God will never give you anything that you cannot handle? There's no way that I would sit there and go, 300? I mean, they'd have made a movie off of this. 300, yeah! We could take everyone. The 301, we got this. Or at some point, I would just sit there in my mind and go, we are so dead. But here we go. And isn't it just like God? How many have had this happen where you feel like God has called you to do something and instead of things getting better when you obey, it actually got worse? You had enough and now you don't. You're going, God, where are you? Like, I feel like I'm doing what you want. And I feel like I've followed your leading. But all of a sudden, when I start to get going, you start taking things away. These resources that I was going to use to accomplish what you wanted me to to accomplish, I can't use those things because now they're not there. Why would he do it? Here's the reason again. Why would he do this? 
So that in the end, the Israelites did not take credit for the victory. So in the end, the Israelites did not take credit for the victory, which is the same reason God will take things away from us so that in the end, we will not take credit for his victory. Guys, in every single thing, we should be striving to point people to Jesus who provides. Jesus who is good. Jesus who rescues. Jesus who saves. Jesus who provides. Jesus who gives every single thing. Jesus who is the contentment of our life. He is the fulfillment of everything. Everything that we do, say, think, should be pointing people back to a Jesus who is able. Not to us who are clueless. So often we can take the credit and God does something. And they go, oh, if it wasn't for you. Some of you guys are so encouraging, and I appreciate it all the time. I would say most of the people up here that preach, you're so encouraging. I mean, some of you don't, you're not, but you don't say anything, and that's, I thank you. But for those of you that are super encouraging, you go, oh, that really spoke to me, that's great. And I used to, back in the day, just go, thank you so much, and in my mind going, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, I did real good on that. Yeah, that was good. That was a good joke. That was good timing. Oh, I'm amazing. And then God broke me. And for those that come up, and I appreciate, I really do, and I hope this doesn't come out arrogant. I thank you, but I usually always just try to say, praise God. Because think about it. In a room with this many people in it, those who are watching online, those who watch after this is happening, think about it. How does one person with one message impact all of these different people with all of these different life lessons in all of these different stages and all these different places where you're walking with one thing if it's not for God? There's no way that I can impact all these people in different areas because I preach from one passage, one topic, one direction, unless God takes it. So my prayer every time is, God, please, I don't know what I'm doing. And to think that I'm supposed to somehow, humanly, if it's possible, to try to describe this God who is beyond imagination. So when I sit there, I'm like, here we go, here we go. And during that last song, it was just confirmation. This is the right direction for this morning. There's this little thing that I do, and I kind of feel stupid. I hope not a whole lot of people see it. And I kind of do this fist pump with God by myself. I don't do this. That looks a little weird. But I'll just kind of go like this. Because I feel like at some point, I'm just going, God, please, please, please. And I just feel like I hear it so often. Go get them. And I say, go with me. Boom, boom, fist pump. Ah, oh, now it's battle time. And I'm ready to go. But I don't ever want to get up. I don't ever want to preach if I know that God is not the one leading and taking the message wherever he wants to go. That every aspect of our life should be this cry out to God, I need you. That we have the Holy Spirit who is the helper. That's his title. That's his name. And I'm supposed to need him and he wants to hear me cry out, Holy Spirit, help. Help me. And every time I do, he is overjoyed to help. So can you imagine Gideon going, seriously, God, 300? Now watch God's next instructions. That same night, verse 9. That same night, the Lord said to him, arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. There you go. Go get him. 
Go with me, fist bump, whatever that looked like. <laughs> uh, don't repeat that. Arise, go down against the camp, for I've given it to your hand. Now watch verse 10. But if you are afraid, does God know his audience? Yeah. Here's the promise. God made it. Go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. God is speaking in the past tense, and it hasn't even happened yet. I have given it. It's yours. It's already yours. You don't have to worry about it. I have already given it to you. Friends, we have to hold on to this. The promises of God are certain. Circumstances do not dictate God to do anything. God God dictates the circumstances to accomplish his will. God is sovereign. And a lot of you can sit there and go, well, and why is there so much hard stuff going on? Because we broke it. We messed it up. But God is still sovereign. It blows my mind that God in his sovereignty can take tragedy, redeem it, and bring people to himself. Show me a person on the planet that can do that. There is not one who can take tragedy after tragedy, introduce himself to those people in that situation, and bring them to himself. You say, well, not everyone. Absolutely. But God in his sovereignty should actually bring us peace. That when we look at the passage that Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything. It's not because I can handle it. It's not because, well, this isn't that big. Or I'm, I'm, now I'm prepared, I can take this. No, no, the God that I'm supposed to rely on, yeah, he's able to do it. So all of a sudden, God calls us to do something, and then all of a sudden, if it's outside of our comfort zone, we become what? We become afraid. To become fearful of something is a natural reaction. But then our faith is supposed to kick in and move us to what it is that God says. But this is what God says. But if you're afraid, verse 10, if you're afraid to go down, then go down to the camp with pure your servant. Now, that just seems weird. If you're afraid to go down, then go down with your friend. So if you're afraid to go down with the 300, go down with your one friend. Does that seem a little weird? I would, picture, I would picture God saying, if you're afraid, I'll bring back the 22,000. I'll bring back the, the 29,000. And then you all can go. No, no, he says, hey, if you're afraid to go down, why don't you go down there with one person and do what? This is what he says. Go down with your friend Pura. And can you imagine Pura over here going, what? Gosh, getting grow a backbone because you're such a wuss and I have to go with you. I'm tired of this. Take your friend, Pierre, your servant. You shall hear, now that's it. You shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hands will be strengthened to go down against the camp. This is how you know it will be God. This is how you know it's true. You're going to go down and hear some stuff. Great. He doesn't tell them which tent. He doesn't tell them what area of the camp. He just says, just go down there. I don't care where you go, just go down there. And when you get down there, you're going to hear some things that's going to strengthen you. So the fact that Gideon was afraid is, 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 is true because look in the middle of verse 11. Then he went down with pure his servant. Doesn't that mean he's afraid? He's like, okay, thank goodness. I can go down with my friend. To the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp and the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance and their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. Boy, it just seems like a fair fight. 300 against the world. Isn't that how it's kind of described? The writer of Judges, make sure you understand, man, their camels, like 
like the sand on the seashore. I mean, it's just unbelievably, it's, this is, it's unbelievable how, how out of balance this fight is. Now watch this. When Gideon became, verse 13, when Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, because that's how I start sentences. Behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. Here's the interpretation. Ready? And his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. And I have to sit there and go, how in the crud did you get to that conclusion from that dream? <laughs> Picture it. Oh, okay, what was your dream? <gasps> okay, there's this barley loaf, right? Oh, yeah, I got it, I got it. Yeah, t- I can totally interpret it. Go ahead. There's this barley loaf, and it's rolling down a hill. And it, it crashes right here in the camp of the Midianites. And it knocks over the tent. And then the tent flops over on his back and lays flat. Oh, it freaked me out. Barley bread. Boom. I know what it means. It means Gideon's going to come and kill us because God's given given the Midianite camp to him. We're dead. Exactly. Wow. Isn't that clear? Isn't that clear? Have you ever just had one of those dreams where you woke up going, what was that about? Okay, I had this dream. There's this pepperoni loaf going down the hill. It's coming down the hill. Boom, lands in my backyard. What's that mean? You're going to win the lottery. Thank God. I just, I just sit there and go, that is the most random dream and random idea for Gideon to get to the That's all that Gideon heard. It's like, I came down to hear somebody's dream. Now think of Gideon as he hears the interpretation. The interpretation, this is none other than Gideon. And Gideon's like, there might be a lot of Gideons. Gideon, the son of Joash, well, that's me. Yeah, that means he's gonna take us out because God has given us into his hands. Watch the response. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. That hits me. He's in the middle, or even the outskirts. He's right there in the enemy camp, and he worships. He worships God as if the promise is true, and nothing in the circumstances have changed. For those who say you love the idea of coincidence, I need to tell you that Scripture doesn't believe in it because God doesn't believe in it. I mean, how random is it for you to just walk up and hear someone's dream and then your name's involved in it because a barley loaf rolled down the hill. And it means you're gonna have victory over a whole whole army. God knew at the exact time they would be having this exact conversation and all of us say, just go down and listen. And when you get down there, it will be confirmed and you will be encouraged. Just know that the promise has been stated. Again, The circumstances do not change the validity of the promises of God. Rather, the promises of God are always yes in Jesus. Therefore, the circumstances are always subservient to God. They're always in obedience to Jesus. 
What should that do for us? Man, we should be encouraged. But Brian, I'm hitting something tough, right? Because what does that thing do? It helps us to know. It helps us to point us to what? Relying on God. He worshiped in the middle of the camp. Nothing had changed. But he worships in the middle of the camp because the promise of God was confirmed and he could hold on to what it is that God had said. Guys, if you don't see the victory yet, that's because we aren't there yet. But when God declares that there has been victory, the victory is already done. Example, for those of you that have a relationship with Jesus, you will make it. That he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The reason that scripture says do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. The reason that we can actually live life set apart from anxiety is this. Because God has already lived through all of human history. He's lived through our tomorrows and he knows how, we, how he is going to bring us to the end. So when we begin to worry, when we're afraid, when we begin to freak out, the thing that we need to remind each other of is this. God has already seen it through. Need proof? The cross is always the proof of the faithfulness, the grace, the mercy, the judgment, the wrath, the goodness of God. And when you gave yourself fully to Christ, Jesus gave himself fully to you. And I use this often, even if you start kicking, kicking away, he will drag you by your upper jaw across the line because you surrendered to him. Will God give us more than we can handle? Absolutely. I think it's his hobby. So this is what happens. Verse 16. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars because that's the best thing to fight a war with. That's it. You're going to go to battle, grab a trumpet and an empty jar. There it is. Can you just imagine just showing up Ready to go to battle? You want some of this? I can't do it because my voice is jacked up. And hey, don't mess with me. I got an empty jar. You want some of this? Now the thing is, at no point does it say that God told Gideon to do this. It doesn't say, hey, now Gideon, go back to your men. Give them all a trumpet in a jar. It's like Gideon just comes up with it. And I don't know Why? And again, we can come with some kind of conclusions. We can guess, and that's okay. But I wonder if part of it is this. He looks at the 300 over here and going, you guys can't fight. What's the point? Like, I'm not going to waste swords on you. Here's a rock for you. Here's some grass for you. What does it matter? Here's jars. Everyone gets jars and a trumpet. Now watch this. Verse 17, and he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on, on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. I like how he throws himself right in the mix of that. When you hear it, when you and we blow our trumpets, you're all spread out. Your company's over there. Yours is here. Ours is here. When you hear us, 
We blow the trumpet, you blow your trumpets, and then scream out for the Lord and for Gideon. Yeah, that sounds good. Why do he throw his name in there? Because he's arrogant? No. Doesn't it kind of make sense that maybe the interpretation of the dream has been spreading just a little bit throughout the camp, and all of a sudden the one who is to come to destroy the Midianites, all of a sudden they hear his name. Doesn't that begin to freak them out just a little bit? Why the trumpets? Why 300 trumpets? Because it's very likely that the company only had a couple, uh, like a company of soldiers would only have a couple trumpets and they would use that as ways to tell each other what they're going to do. So all of a sudden you're, one of the, you're in the Midianite, Midianite army and all of a sudden you hear 300 trumpets going off around you, which makes, you th- which makes it sound like there's 300 companies of soldiers surrounding you. So maybe Gideon had it right. Guys, we don't need swords, just trumpets and jars. And when you hear me, when you hear us blow, man, you blow. Then you scream. You let make sure that those jars are seen. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Verse 19. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with them came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch. And they blew the trumpets, smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the three on trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. That has got to be outstanding to watch. I know it sounds kind of sick, but think about it. That's good TV. You don't have to fight. I mean, you're all geared up. Okay, guys, we got our trumpets and our jars and a torch. We got fire now. You blow the trumpets, break the jars, hold up your torches. And all of a sudden, you're getting ready to move forward. You're like, and then you stop. Whoa, you just back up. The whole army begins to fight each other and kill each other. What do you do? You just sit back. You pull out some popcorn. Are you kidding me? I mean, you can, but you can make popcorn because you got the torch, so you're all good to go. You just eat popcorn. You're just watching. I mean, was God being true to what it is that he said he would do? Absolutely. He says, I've already given this to you. Guys, when God makes a promise, guys, we can accept the promise. We can go after the promise and take the promise, even if all we have are some jars, a trumpet, and a torch. It made me think of this verse, and this is why I was going to preach this morning, but then I remembered I already referred to it a little while ago. But it's one of my favorite verses. It's become so important to me. Exodus chapter 14, verse 14, where it says, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Oh, isn't that good? I mean, that just that verse, doesn't it just make you just want to go, oh, that's good. That's so good. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Starting verse 8, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. So utterly burdened beyond our strength. Guys, just that phrase puts to bed the myth that we hold on to that God will never give us any more than we can handle. Paul is saying, beyond our our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we'd received the sentence of death. But... Here's the reason, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God 
What's the purpose of God giving us more than we can handle? That we would learn to rely upon him. And then Paul throws in this reminder, who raises the dead. And we can sit there and go, but God, do you understand how big this is? I mean, this is a massive problem. This isn't like this tiny little problem like when I was in third grade. This thing is huge. I mean, God, you know that you need my help. And God's like, you know what? I can raise the dead. I can do that. It's like Paul's trying to remind us, no matter how big the problem is, no matter what we think of that problem, whatever that crisis that has invaded our lives, crisis never asks for permission to show up. It always barrels through. No matter how big or how impossible, Paul's trying to get us to remember, hey, can God handle it? Yeah, he can even bring the dead back to life. So understand this. Yes, you can live with no anxiety. You rely upon God. You go back to him constantly or pretend like you can actually fix something and enjoy your fear. Verse 10, he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us Again, guys, when we can't see his deliverance, what do we do? According to that verse, you go back. Remember that one time? Remember that one time he delivered? Remember that one time he showed up? Remember that one time he came through? Oh, that was good. And then you had like a little season of, of maybe a little bit of a rest. And then boom, here's the next one. Oh, I'm freaking out. God, where are you? And all he's going to say, remember when? Yeah, I'm going to do that again. But the last time God was so hard, I know. But what did it teach you? That I should rely on you. And then this one will be done and then goes on. And isn't that just life? You say, why would he do that? Because God knows that he himself is the greatest good and he wants us to have the greatest good. When I'm self-reliant, I'm not relying upon God. It's all about me. At that moment, I am not experiencing God's best because I'm not in tight, reliant relationship with God. When I get into those situations, maybe you, can, maybe you can agree and you can relate. When you hit those times where there's no other answer, there's no other way out, and you're sitting there going, God, where are you? All of a sudden, we rely ourselves completely on him. We experience him in a way that we never would have if everything was comfortable. Because when we need to see God do the miraculous and he does the miraculous, it leaves us stunned and amazed and ready for the next thing. What does it cause us to do? It causes us to stand in the enemy's camp and to worship God before the promise has even been fulfilled. Will God give us more than we can handle? Absolutely yes. What do we get out of it? Him. Him. It's always been about him. I'll close with this. God delights in exalting our inability. He intentionally puts his people in situations where they come face to face with their need for him. And guys, that's where we should be. So for those of you with the pride, can I just remind you, you suck at life. You can't do it all by yourself. And we've never been asked to. Brian, I've been walking with Jesus for a long time. I'm so thankful for that. But just because there's longevity in your walk with Jesus doesn't mean at this point you become less reliant upon him. What I've kind of noticed, the longer I've walked with Jesus, I feel like now I'm even more reliant because all of a sudden I'm much more aware of my sinfulness and not of my victories. All day, every day, 
completely reliant upon God. And that's what he loves. He loves us in that type of relationship. So here's how we're going to close. Before I pray, I just want to remind you the prayer room is going to be open right over here to my left. Your right is right down here on the bottom on the first floor. Uh, guys, it's for you. There's just people they love to pray. And we've seen miracles come out. It's un- unbelievable. And someone said, well, I went in there and nothing happened. It's always God's timing though, right? I mean, he may have just said, wait. Or maybe say, no, not right now because I have something else for you to learn. But when it's time, he does what he wants. So that's, that's available to you. But here's how we're going to close. If this morning you say, okay, God, I need you. Like this thing that I've been facing, I can't do it anymore. It is way too hard. And I've been trying to do it on my own. And I'll throw out the cute little prayers or ask people to pray. But instead of really giving it to you, I just kind of take it back to myself. I sounded Christian. I sounded religious. I sound like I'm tight with you. But I'm not. I just pray and then I take it back. And so maybe today is the day where God wants to free you from actually pretending like you're the Savior. And start living as the one who has been saved. Not just from hell. Not just from sin. You have been saved The promises of God are fulfilled. They'll be fulfilled, but the promises of God are true even before they're fulfilled. We've been saved. We can rest. We can trust. So if that's you this morning, wherever you're at, when I start to pray, we're all gonna, well, if you want to, you back heads, close your eyes when you pray. I don't, mine are always open, but if you want to, if if you say, God, I need you, this thing is killing me, and I, I finally feel like I can just say, I can't do this, then you're just gonna stand up. Is that cool? When you stand up, you're just going to take your hands. You, just, you don't have to put them up high. Just put them right here like you're going to receive, like you're receiving from God. And that's just going to be your sign to him. God, I can't do this. Please help me. I'm overwhelmingly exhausted. I'm overburdened. I can't do this. If that's you. And if, it's not, if you're not there, totally fine. Don't feel the pressure to stand. You just pray for those who are standing. Is that fair? Okay. As I pray, if you need to stand up, then stand up. Let me pray. God, we can't do it by ourselves. God, I thank you that you don't ask us to. God, I thank you that there's freedom in just being able to look to you and say, God, I can't do this. I thank you that as we do that, you give us these reminders. God, I thank you for your sovereignty. I thank you for your ability. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for your power. God, I thank you. I thank you for your omnipotence. I thank you for your omnipresence, your omniscience. I thank you you know all, that you are in all, that you're in all places at the same time. And so God, for those of us who are standing, please help. Please help. We don't know what to do. God, for those who are coming to our mind that oh, we want to see them know you are, they're in just such a tough place. God, please help. And just confirm somehow today, forgetting you got, them, you got to let them hear a, a dream that made no sense and have this interpretation that seemed not even connected. God, somehow make us attentive, whether it's a song that we hear or a person that we talk to, a conversation or a sunset or whatever. Just remind us, God, whatever it is, confirm it, you're able. God, thank you. And all that you do, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for you alone are worthy. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you more than you know. We'll see you next week. Have a great week.